0: Important question of your day. Hey, is this been Emo? Hello, and welcome to episode 133 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Malone from WashedUpEmo.com. Today, we welcome Tony Weinbender from Fest. Tony has curated an amazing festival in Florida, started in 2002 with 60 bands, and has grown into the premier independent festival, with Fest 17 this year having 400 plus bands performing across three days. It's simple. Make something awesome, stick at it, and people will support Tony, like myself, started in college radio, and he booked bands at MacRock. I've talked about that festival. And it's put on by XJM and James Madison University. He went on to work at No Idea Records in Florida and toured with bands like Less Than Jake. Reminder, Fest 17 is this October. If you want to be part of the community and a festival that keeps its DIY roots, Fest is it. Tony was amazing to spend time talking about his life and what is next for him. If you want to support the podcast, head on over to Patreon.com slash And if you do, I will be able to make more of these. This is episode 133 of the Washed Emo podcast with Tony Weinbender from Fest.
1: Kind of listening to music, but not like punk, you know. Like, I would say, like, you know, without knowing I kind was of listening to punk, like, my older brother, you know, was always into like rock and roll, like ACDC, The Who, Zep, but then he would always like play like Talking Heads as well and like Violent Femmes. I think he was like when he was like not in college, but dating college girls, if that makes sense. Totally, you know, I was like really young, um, and so I'd go to visit him. And my dad, and then, like, I remember, like, that kind of music playing, but well, my mom always listened to, like, pop radio and, like, soul music and stuff like that, so I always had an appreciation for music, you know, and then when I was, like, in middle school, I got, like, really into, like, hip-hop, um, and, and, like, uh, and then I ran to this kid in, like, band class named Chad Smith, and he was really into, like, the L.A. kind of metal scene, like, L.A. guns and crew and... Shit like that. So he was like exposing me to that, which most of that was on the radio, but then there'd be like a friend band here or there. And so like, you know, when we were like 13, it was like, okay, we're going to hang out and talk about music. And then he went to West Virginia to, to visit family. And he had an older cousin. His older cousin was like punk and a skater. And was just like, Hey, did your folks give you any, like, you have any allowance money? And he was like, yeah. He's like, okay, we're going to the record store. And he went to the record store and bought Chad records Um, and Chad grew up, his father was like, uh, very religious, but had this upbringing of playing, uh, bluegrass music. So Chad had exposure to LPs and stuff and like had a record player. Um, so when he came back, all these LPs, he was like, come over my house, dude. He's like, I got a skateboard. And so like, we took turns, like figuring out how to like skate. And then he like played all these bands and it was like Dead Kennedys, Fugazi, Misfits, Minor Threat, Bad Brains Uh, a thing called Firehose, yeah uh which is like mike watts and um and uh i can't remember what else but from that you know and from skateboarding you know we started like going to like like the video stores that were that i worked at i started working at a video store when i was 13 was like a mom-and-pop video store and they really didn't have skate videos and there was no like real skate shop but if you went to the flea market there was, like, a little, like, fringe inside the dirt mall, the flea market store. And in there, uh, there were, like, you know, misfits, posters, and stuff, and, like, shirts, and you could, like, and Danzig stuff, and you could, like, talk to the dude, and he was, like, all right, man, I'll order you this. And then, like, I ended up getting a record player. My boss ended up winning the lottery, of all things. That's <laughs> crazy. So, yeah, it was weird. And so then he was like, hey, you know, I won the lottery. I'm giving every all these gifts. So he bought me a record player, gave me a $100 gift certificate to the record store and a $100 gift certificate to the movie theater. Um, and so I remember going to the record store and being like, look, I'm into punk and talking to the guy. And he's like, all right, all right. I go, what should I listen to? And he's like, well, what have you heard? And I told him, he goes, all right, I think you might like this. And he pulls, you know, of course, let you listen to it first. And he whipped out the face-to-face no authority seven-inch. Wow! Um, yeah, and I still have it. Uh, and I was like, cool. And that was like the first like punk record that I personally owned, uh, besides like being a kid and having Chipmunk Punk. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so,
0: that's amazing. Yeah, that's I mean, kinda... it's crazy. The skate video slash that local store. And someone recommending because you need that person still to this day. But that it's the same thing happened when you walked into that that store and you were like, "Look, I'm into this. Help me out." And he -hmm. knew what to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, and really, skate videos was how we found out about a lot of stuff. Yeah, and then you know, buying Thrasher, and then Thrasher, you'd see band ads and stuff and then you know you just kind of go down that rabbit hole um you know without the internet it was like and we also went to like a high school where there was like no punks like literally like i've gone back since then and like done research and there was there was no like punks at Lord lornbottar high school before us it was really <laughs> weird you would think that like there'd be one you know, one. You know you, yeah usually there's like you know the older brother who like tells the younger brother like Yo, you know you got to listen to this and throws like a fucking misfits record at him or something but it didn't happen, and so then we decided, like, you know, because we played instruments, you know, I played saxophone, Chad was a shredder at guitar, and we had a buddy, we had two. We had a buddy that lived up the street who skated with us, and Chad taught him how to play bass. You know, we found a kid who was, like, way into Metallica, who played drums, and we just started a band, and not having anybody, like, say, like, hey, this is how you do a band, it was kind of liberating, because it was, like, there was no blueprint. You know, it was like, well, what are we going to sound like? And it's like, well, we kind of like this whole hodgepodge difference amount of music, you know? Like, we really like hip-hop and the Beastie Boys, but we really like, you know, Fugazi, and then we really like the Red Hot Chili Peppers and, like, old 70s folk music and stuff, and we have horns. So it was like, I remember we started this band, and we started, like, playing shows out, but, like, in Botetop, there was no other bands. Like, they would have a battle of bands, like, every fucking year, and somebody would play like Sunshine of Your Love and they'd win every single time. You know, <laughs> it was like that was like the standard song to win the Battle of the bands. Um and so we were like, ah, fuck that, you know. And we didn't know anything about shows or anything and then I remember like the first show we went to was uh we saw a flyer up at like that same like I think by then that we had found a skate shop, which was like one town over. Um, and we went and saw a flyer and it was for this thing at this Bar. It was like a biker bar called Scooches, and I remember my mom being like, "I don't know if you boys should go to Scooches." Like,
0: that's, I don't know if you like, could go to
1: Scooches. <laughs> Scooches, yeah. It's across from the Civic Center, and she was. It's kind of rough there, but it was like, well, this is a Sunday matinee show, and it was. Uh, oh fuck, what was it called? It had a. Re- it was like an all-day like matinee thing with all these bands, and it was called Sweat Fest. That's what it was called. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, sweat-fisted so like, like, scooches. You know, every, Yeah, everybody asked their parents, you know, because there was a group of us, like, you know, out, outcast little kids, you know, and, uh, none of us could drive. So my mom had like a bigger, like old seventies Cadillac and we all piled in there with our skateboards. And she like went shopping and like dropped us off at scooches. You know, made, went in and talked to him, like made sure it was cool that these, like, you know, I, I don't even know how we were, right? No, we weren't. We were, We had to have been, like, 14 or 15, you know, and it just baffles me to think about it now. But, like, those bands weren't even punk. They were all thrash. Wow. Like, the whole, like, Roanoke scene. They were all, like, thrash bands. And I remember, like... Were you into it? Yeah, of course, because it was just, like, you were seeing live music, and it was metal. I remember, like, one of the bands uh, closed with, like, uh, Inner Sandman, and we were like, whoa, you know? Because you know, like all you know, you never see bands like you know. You would always like listen to music. So to see like a live band, it didn't even matter like what they were playing. It was just mind blowing. Uh, and so then we were like, we're starting a band, you know. And so we just started kind of like decided we were going to play and do this thing. And I remember like we started going to shows and finding out through those thrash bands that there was like kind of a little punk scene, uh, and going to shows at this place called the Iroquois Club. And if you ask anybody from, like, the southeast who toured through Roanoke, that was the club. And they would always do, like, Sunday matinee shows. um, And it was run by this woman named Shirley and her half-in-the-bag drunk husband who did sound named Chief. And (laughs) Shirley would take, she would take, like, 80% of the door and... uh, you know, what we had a place. It was like, you know, our space, our clubhouse, you know, and the bands could play. And then eventually, you know, there was like four or five bands in Roanoke. There was like us. We were in this band called Swank. Oh, uh, I totally was- remember Swank. We were in Swank.
0: <laughs> Wait, but did you, then you know, the, the, was Big Dave was in Swank, right?
1: Big Dave was in Swank later. Later. Big Dave is still in Swank. Swank yes. is a band again. You're they right. You're recording right. Recording a new album and or recorded it and it's coming out. And uh, yeah, they still play. In fact, I've got them playing uh, Fest this year for the first time. So oh, it's rad! Kind of weird.
0: I love Big yeah, Dave. I might
1: play like a couple songs with them. You it'll, should it'll be weird. Well, it'll be also weird because it'll be the first time I've ever played Fest in 17 years. You know. <laughs> so- <laughs> it'll be you know it took it took you know in my my early 40s to get the, the bug to go back to playing music um so yeah so it was like a weird scene man and so we kind of got bored with you know all playing with each other and we're like look we gotta start we want to play with other bands you know and so we would drive once we got a license and stuff we would drive to richmond and see bands and then we started inviting like uh Inquisition, which was like mm-hmm. Thomas from Strike Anywhere's early band and Robbie from Amberetta, So we invite Inquisition. A veil would come through like once every two months. Um, and so one time we had to open for a veil, which was crazy. Um, you know, and there was like, you know, we just really built up the scene. And, that, and then Book Your Own Fucking Life came out. Max Rock and Roll released the, like, the Bible of that. And I remember we were seniors in high school and we would just sit and lunch every day and just look through book your own fucking life and with a map and just try to figure out like, okay, as soon as we graduate high school, we're going to do this, you know? And like, we had like a calling card and like we were calling people and then you talk to them on the phone about music for like an hour. And then you end up like mailing your demo to them. And it was like this long drawn out process. Like booking wasn't as easy and quick as it is now. Um, but you made all these connections and friends. And so that's why that's kind of like how uh, we met like uh, the DMs, you know, until our turn, they were the ones who booked shows in Jacksonville.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: we came down and did the Southeast and met them. Uh, we ended up meeting like Hot Water Music and List and Jake through like connections we made in Gainesville. And, uh, you know, and then like we'd go over to Pensacola. There was like a scene there and then there was a scene in like Biloxi, Mississippi, um, and then, like, North Carolina, we'd always go to uh, Boone yep. and play. And, and then we, Dave would Winston. do the shows in Winston-Salem, and we'd play with Code 7. You know, in this whole southeast scene, and there was, like, Richmond bands, besides, like, Inquisition and the Veil, there was bands like Whirly Bird and Jolly Mortals, and and all these, like, 90s bands, like, really just ran through the southeast. And then, and, you know, everybody that put on a show for you, you put on a show for them in your town. Um, and we got to the point where we were doing well outside of Roanoke. Like we could, we could bring people with us to Richmond and headline in Richmond and it was cool. Or we could bring bands to Winston Salem, you know, so we could do like a run for people. So it was really rad. And then we got to be super good friends with Weston Jake and hot water. And then hot water invited us to go on tour in the Northeast with them. And this band that was on J tree called walleye, Mm -hmm. uh, and Hot Waters, they were on, like, a whole U.S. tour, and they had this, like, little minivan, and the fucking engine blew up somewhere in, like, Montana or some shit. And so they, like, called us and were like, look, we can't do the tour now. We got to go home, but you should still go and meet Walleye. And so it was crazy to, like, go meet a band that we didn't know at all. And we were like, what's up, dudes? Like, wow. cool. We're going to tour, like, week together. It became, like, best buds. It was awesome. Um, but, you know... It's it's it, we sometimes I'll get with some like, older dudes and like just discuss how crazy it was that like, you know, you'd talk to somebody and be like, Okay, well, where have you played? Who's cool? and you would like write that shit down and have like this book of numbers and you were like calling everything was done by the phone and like Do you, you were, think like, there was something directions and shit? You know? Do you was, yeah.
0: Like... Do you think I mean that time period that's the last time because after that it was the map quest and messaging, and you know, obviously, messaging got quicker and quicker and quicker. But there were ways to, you know, message boards, and then it was. But that that book your own fucking life, the phone, and those those connections where you were sitting with someone. I I mean, that's why I think it's such a special time that those late nineties because of that.
1: It also took time too, because it wasn't just like I call you up and be like. Hey, what's up, dude? You do uh, Jason Black from Hot Water says you do shows in in Vermont. Uh, cool, and you'd be like, well, "What does your band sound like?" And I'd be like, <laughs> "Well, I, I, you can't go to my MySpace page or Bandcamp or anything like that." So, what's your address? I'll mail you something, and then you got to wait for you to like listen to it, hopefully like it, and then get back to you. You know, so it 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 made the process you had to start it very much sooner, I guess. And I think the connection of talking to people over the phone and making that initial connection of us like, hey, you know, there's not many of us that are into this sub-sub-genre of like life. Uh, So let's, you know, when you get somebody on the phone or even in person, they're going to show stuff, and you're like, holy shit, you're into punk too. It was almost like you grab onto them and it was like, oh, you know, I didn't think there was many of us, you know? so. It, you know, cause especially in the Southeast, you know, it wasn't like we lived in New York. It wasn't like we lived in California where it was like, everything was huge. Like, you know, it was still a small thing, even in like the late, mid, late nineties. Yeah, I definitely. thousands You know, um,
0: you still had and, to figure it out. I mean, it was like looking at the message boards and you found out about a show the day before. Like, it wasn't like you could just go s- scroll on through events page on Facebook and see everything. Uh, yeah it's it' not was like, like
1: you got r- alerts or reminders and stuff. Yeah. you know I've got friends now that book your own tours they book their own tours now and I, I I'm not knocking the resources. The resources are amazing. like I wish I was sixteen and having the passion I do for music and having these resources. I would have probably never left my fucking room. <laughs> I would have been sitting there, like, scrolling through bands listening, bands, listening to bands, listening to bands, listening to bands, you know? Just, like, when you got, like, a compilation. Yeah. You know? And that was, like, thing people put out back then. Like, And that was, like, really, like, how those comps that people self-release. And if you got asked to be on a comp, it was like, oh, my God, this is a big deal. Because that comp could spread so far and reach all these different people. Cause every band that was on that cop had copies of it and was selling them. That you was know, a and we playlist used to take. Yeah. And we used to take distros with us on tour because we wanted to like, you know, if you go to Winston Salem, it was like, check out all these bands that we played with down in Florida, you know, and kids relied on that. It was like a mobile record store in a way. Um, and suggestions. I remember writing little descriptions on the, on the records, you know, and stuff. And, you know, granted like, if you upcharged a seven inch fifty cents or a dollar, like you know, gas was cheap back then, so it helped put gas in the tank. Um, but it, I can't, I can't fathom. Like the biggest nerve wracking thing was like, or freak out was like, oh my god, where's the book? Where's the book? You know, really? with all the numbers, you know, and like if that got lost, it was like you, you ruined. You know, there was no backup of that shit.
0: Yeah, yeah, you um, weren't scanning it. There was no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, it was I th- also, a lot of it was recommendation. Like, that's how things happen. And if you, like, didn't treat people right, and if you didn't respect the houses that you stayed at, the people who put on the shows for you, that word got around real quick, and you kind of got blacklisted, which was really cool, you know, because there wasn't this, like, sense of entitlement in the punk scene back then. It wasn't like, I'm going to be in a band because I'm going to make it, you know? It was more like, I need to be in a band, because if not, I'm going to fucking go crazy. You know, what if, what have you noticed
0: outlet. in the chain? Have you noticed that in terms of, like, as the eras... Fuck,
1: dude, I noticed I noticed that, like, in 2000, you know? Like, that, that's when it switched for me, like, late 90s, early 2000s. I, I,
0: like, I, I call it know, the pre-bleed American, started. post-bleed American.
1: Yeah, yeah, kind of. Well, I mean... The, and the I love Jimmy bands, World. Like, once... Well, exactly. Me too. But, you know, I think once, you know, once I always say 94 is a year punk broke for for us, you know, that's Mm -hmm. when like Green Day hit. And that's when like everybody got signed. And then the second wave of that was, was Jimmy World and the second wave of like, here's another generation of bands who like were, were successful that are now drawing. The like the less than Jakes, the Hot Waters, uh, the Promise Rings, the Jimmy Worlds. You know where they could go out and do a headline tour and say, "Hey, you know what? We can actually make it." And then you have another, you know, uh, generation a little younger than that who grew up with the internet technology and the and the aspect of like, "Hold on, these guys are making it. Now we can make it." And it 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 it, things changed. I remember, you know, because when I left Harrisonburg. You know, and we did the Macrock thing and stuff there. You know, I got a job opportunity to move down to Gainesville and in the early formative years of Fuel by Ramen and work down here. And so that's why I took it. I took that job that came down. But that's when it changed. And I mean, I was just as much a part of it working at Ramen. You know, you said you worked at Equal Vision and stuff during those years. And that's when it was like the labels themselves like saw an opportunity. They're like all these sm- smaller record labels were really trying to go for it. That was, you know, at that time, you know, in the 2000s is when, like, Vagrant, you know, was just totally. like, fuck it, we are going to grab everything awesome, you know, and we're going to be the label, you know? Um, you had, like, uh, well, oh, that record label, that's some, you know? Yeah, doing some records. Kind of same, same kind of thing, you know? And, you know, in Ramen, when we were working there, it, that was, like, the mentality of Ramen. It wasn't like... Oh, we're just a little punk label and stuff. I mean, I think that's how Vinny always wanted it to be. But his partner, John Janik, you know, who ended up being and still is like a giant record mogul, um, he never like came from like the punk roots. Like he liked ska music and listened to some small ska bands, but he didn't have that like that upbringing that that I had. And so it was really hard for me to like work at a label and come in where I was like, oh, I thought we were just helping all these small punk bands. I didn't know we were trying to find the next big thing
0: and, and world like, domination. No,
1: we are trying to be the next big thing. We want to be the next vagrant. And that was serious. I mean, we would have discussions about it. And I think that just, it soured me. And, uh, I just had, you know, it got to the point where I wasn't enjoying the job and only took like a year and a half, but it would have, you know, if things would have changed, um, if, if, if things would have been in a different direction, I would have kept with it. So like, Because when I started working at No Idea and doing publicity for them, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Because it wasn't that mentality of like, you know, what came first is like, let's be a support unit for this band and try to help this band do as much as they can. It was never this like, okay, band, here's what you need to do to make it. You know,
0: when did that, um, when did that, you said it switched like 2000. Like, I think of that all the time because I, in EVR, it was like, yes, we'd love to have, you know, Circa and Armor be huge, but like, Armor wants to have this little crazy booklet in their CD. Like, cool, let's let them do it. You know, it was more of like a, you want to make this art, we're going to help you. And like, if you want radio help, we'll go ask our distributor or like whatever. It was kind of like that mentality. It wasn't, it wasn't this like, I'm going to come in and I've already got my moves down and this is how you're supposed to act. And I just started to see, it was just like, I, I couldn't tell the difference between the bands and I was still young. <laughs> I was like in my twenties.
1: It was 20s. no difference. It, it, it was no difference of like, there was no like punk ethics behind it. It was just like trying to be, it's a business. It was a record label, you know, and there was no difference in that. And then a major label, except that there's the resources and the money involved. And that's when I also saw the the, the blinds of like, you know, it used to be like this band signed to a major. Fuck that band, you know. Like when Jawbreaker came out with um, uh, "Dear You," I remember being on the cover of MRR, working at a record store, and it was just like, "Fuck Jawbreaker," pretty much on the front of it. Um, that's crazy. You know, and then
0: if only the record, a few oh, only a few years later, that was like encouraged.
1: Correct. Correct. You know, it's just it things had changed. And not to say it's a bad thing, you know. A lot of bands did great with it. That a lot of bands were able to be better musicians and write better songs and record better things, get on better tours, support their families. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, like, things just changed. I'm not saying it was changed for the worse. It just shit just changed. Period. And then always the backlash of that is, is that when things like that change, when the pseudo the the pseudo punk bands are like getting popular. There's always going to be an underground below that that's going to that's going to like kind of like buck against the system, and so that's when you saw in the that time period grind and like thrash music and like you know crust and things like that and and the crazy like hardcore stuff get more popular in the underground mm-hmm. because like the because. If you, I mean, if you have a desire and you're listening to music, you don't want to listen to the same thing in your high school. If you're like, "Fuck, I'm an outcast, I'm punk," I don't want to listen to the same thing that the fucking jocks and cheerleaders are walking down, you know, singing "Jimmy World" and "Fallout Boy" down the hallway, you know. So, it's it's I, you always see like a flip of it. It's 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 interesting, and it's it's just more of like a. a I don't know, a survey of, like, culture in general and how, like, kind of the anti-culture, anti-system, you know? Like.
0: What's inside of you that had you feel that way when you were at FBR? And again, not bad or good, just like, in because I feel that sometimes. You know, I feel like, why am I doing this? Like, this is, I don't, it's like, it's like I'm fighting inside myself.
1: Well, I mean, I just grew up with that. You yeah. know, we were all struggling. We all were looking as a community to help each other. Bands were trying to help each other. Um, because everybody had to like do that, to survive, to get a leg up, to be able to just tour and and, 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 you know, the goal was to be able to express yourself and get yourself out there, um, and be creative. You know, it's like some people just need that outlet. Yeah. Uh, and then when things changed and it was like more of like a business, you know, for me, I, there was some great bands on FBR that still had that mentality of like, You know, very DIY, and this is what I want to do with it. Like, I loved working with Cadillac Blindside. I loved working with Frotus. I loved working with Jersey, you know, Um, things like that. But then, when, like, you know, when the Impossibles and, like, you know, and and granted, I mean, I had the Stereo Playing Fest this year, but that was one of the bands that I didn't really see eye to eye with because when I hung out with them, I didn't get that vibe of, like, dude, you're not. From cut from the same cloth as us, you know, you're you're a you're a rock and roll pop band, you know, yeah, and you write fucking amazing records. But I cannot hang out with you, <laughs> yeah. you know. And that was for me was a big thing, and that's what hurt me for a lot. feel Ramen is I couldn't I couldn't separate at 25, you know, I couldn't separate work from me putting my whole heart and ambition into it. So like it was hard for me to like for Janet to be like, look, you need to focus and put all your energy into like this band and and we're going to do Fall Out Boy and Punchline next and stuff like that. And I'm just like, I don't like this, you know? I don't like the the way this is going. And so, you know, I kind of like, I remember vividly, it was like I, and at the time, I had kind of brought in a support staff and we were growing as a label and I brought in some of my buddies, you know, and trained them and so we had like it was cool. I liked coming to work every day because it was like, Oh, there's Kyle, there's guys, you know, but then like John and I would just fight like constantly about the direction label. And Vinny was always on tour. So, you know, it not Vinny's fault. It's just like, he put two guys. It was like oil and fucking water in a room together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and him not being there, I was always like, no, Vinny, Vinny told me he wants to do this. And you know, and then he's got my back, you know, but in the end, Janik was right, man. Ramen ended up doing great things, huge. I mean, look at fucking it's still like here now, like exactly, you know. And that's the, that's the thing for me is like, uh, you know, I'm still doing what I wanted to do, and, and granted, I'm I'm happy, but there was like, you know, when I was like, look, dude, fuck this shit, I quit, and he's like, fuck you, you're fired, <laughs> you know. So I was like, <laughs> oh shit, it was like a reality check. I was like. Fuck, I just got fired. I quit college to come down here. I have no job skill set whatsoever, like for Gainesville. Like I've never worked in a restaurant or a bar and that's where everyone works. You know. I ran a music festival in college radio station. I worked at a independent record store. There's no openings at the independent record store. Those guys have that job for life. I worked at an independent video store. There's no openings there either. Yeah. Those jobs keep that job for life. Until I really it was really struggling for for until like I just learned how to wait tables and could survive,
0: yeah um, quickly I wanted to but, jump you know. back to Macrock real quick, okay, I thought, because i definitely i'd found out about it again through a message board or something when I was in college in North Carolina and went up to and I remember being late I missed get up kids and I don't remember if this was i think it was ninety eight or ninety seven i whatever the it, it was maybe I had the car ninety nine whatever one of those ones were i remember and it had the bands before cmj it was like all the cool fucking bands were there and of course they had a great you know math rock stuff and X Jam was a cool station that the college radio station that i was at in north carolina with like we would sometimes you know talk to each other and so i just loved that community part about it and i think it was so kind of Ahead of having all these different venues and it had, a you know, the, if it was, uh, you know, panels, that was such really meaningful. I mean, I told you earlier, I'm holding like the booklets, like I, it's like the set lists and the, the show listings and all these bands in here. It's like what they went on to do, or they went to go play South by Southwest the next year. Like it was a, an amazing stepping stone. And how did you get involved with it? And what was, you know, what were some experiences that you had you know, running that unique festival?
1: Well, like, after high school, um, you know, we all did this thing where, we're like, okay, we got to go to college, and so I actually went to school first at George Mason, which is up near D.C., and we all went there as a band, as Swank, to, like, be a band, because that's where, like, our bass player was, he was a year older, and that's where he went to college. And so, like, I went to, like, a semester up there, and then after a semester, we were all, like, why are we up here? Like, Tim can just drive back every weekend. Let's go back to Roanoke. Because I think I, Tim and I were the only ones actually going to college. Everybody else was just living, like, up there. and We were all sharing a house and they're working their shitty jobs and stuff. And so, like, my vision was, like, you know, we're getting ready to do a split 10 inch with less than Jake. Fuck yeah. Like, fuck college. I, we're going to tour. We're going to make it. And then, of course, the band breaks up. And so when the band broke up, I was like, shit, this was kind of like, the reason I got up every morning, this was like, I was the band guy for this. I booked the tours. I had all these connections and friendships with all these people. I booked all the shows in Roanoke and help people out so much. It was kind of like my identity was kind of like gone. Um, and I didn't know what to do. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm going back to college. And, uh, some friends of ours, we used to tour with a band called Herschel, who was from, uh, uh, Lynchburg area. And John Fuller, uh, who was the drummer of Herschel was going to school at JMU. And he was like, come up to JMU and check it out. And so me and my friend Jason Wood like went up there and there was like a house show and like Jonathan had started playing in this band called Sleepy Time Trio.
0: Love uh, Sleepy Time were, like,
1: Trio. Yeah. Who were like ex-Max Colby because Max man, and Colby broke up. So they got Jonathan. So we were like, his Harrisonberg bands so were up there. And I met all these other people that were like, cool. And you know, very alternative and, and, into cool things. And, you know, like, and so I was like, man, I could just, I could move to Harrisonburg. Yeah, that's all I do. And like, somebody took me to the college radio station. I walked around XJM and I was like, this is rad, you know, because I'd never been inside a radio station. You know, I'd never experienced other, here's a group of all these other nerds that are into like, cool subgenres genres of music. You know, it was like, the experience I'd had at the video store growing up and then later working at uh, the record store growing up, it was like, this is a community, you know? And Harrisonburg was just small enough to where you still could meet people and feel a part of it. You didn't get washed out in the whole university scenario. Um, And so I moved and I was like, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And I went applied to JMU and uh, went to school and got really deep into the college radio station you know, and just kind of let the band thing die out and put my love into like helping out that community and making friends and stuff. Um, and we went at a college radio station, went to CMJ, the college music journal thing up there in New York. Yep. And just like you were saying, like they weren't featuring the bands that we were playing on our station. They weren't playing hot water. They weren't playing get up kids. They weren't playing anything on J tree at all. Um, and they weren't. There was no like hardcore showcase or anything. It was all like Husker Du and like I don't even know if Husker Du played. But that's you know what, what I, mean? I think. It was about, all you the know, indie like rock the, shit. Yeah, the gen, the the older generations indie rock stuff, which is great music, but it wasn't what's new. And we we're thinking like you're CMJ, you should have your finger on the goddamn pulse of what's new. We should be coming up in here and seeing new bands and taking that back to our radio station and pumping it out. That's all whole point of this, right? And so we came back as a group and we're like, you know what? I was like, I've been doing shows forever. We've been doing like little, like the radio station would do like their the spring show and the fall show. And then once in a while there'd be house shows because we'd have friends that would come through and we'd put on house shows for them. And then there was another house called the Spaghetti House. And that North Carolina band, the Scaries, would always come and play. Yep. Um, so there was like two different groups in Harrisonburg at the time. There was like the groups that liked like... You know, more indie rock and like bubblegum stuff. Like, not that the scariest were like that, but that's kind of like the stuff that happened at the Spaghetti House. And then I lived at the Funk House. No, I don't know, Still to this day, I don't know why it was called the Funk House. But uh, that's where like, Sleepy Time practiced. you know, And that's the house that After Sleepy Time Engine Down formed out of. Um, and so we were doing shows for, like, DC bands. And that's like, you know, we were the ones doing hot water shows, and we were the ones doing regulator watch shows, and we were the ones doing 12-hour turn shows and stuff. And so, like, both groups got along really well, but it was like, here's these two groups of people. Everybody is involved with the college radio station with XJM. And so let's pull our sources together. And so we kind of mapped it out. And I remember the first year we, we, you know, as a group of the college radio station, you know, we, everything had to be done as a group, you know, everything had to be voted on everything down to it. I remember the first year they were like, look, we're going to get one headliner and then everything else is going to be submission based only. And I was like, well, there's all these other bands I'll try to get them to submit. And of course it was hard. Like, you know, there was no online application thing. It was like, you mailed everything in, uh, and so that first year that we did Macrock, we had a super chunk play and then everything else was submission and it was kinda of small and so then the next year I kinda of like got up in everyone's business and was like, Look, just let me bring try to bring these bands in and we made a list of bands. I was like, I know these bands. Let me try to ask them if they'll come up and stuff. And so that was like the next year we got Get Up Kids and That's then we got mail. Yeah. Yeah, and so like that whole show, except for like the Blue Rags, I think where I booked pretty much that whole that whole show on that, and then we had Hot Water play. I think I think Regulator Watts played, like the Sorts played one year. I get those years kind of blended together and mixed up a lot too. Yeah, and then I left in two thousand, and uh, but was still working at Tiller Ramen, so that was like the year I was hoping, like. Oh, got
0: um, it. That was the transition.
1: Help it cause I was still connected with XJM. So it was like, well, Deppin was doing it. And I'm like, look, well, there's this band, Alkaline Trio. We're good buddies with them. I'm going to get them to come. And then I'm going to bring all these to ramen bands. And then I'm going to bring discount up. And, you know, we're going to give me, give me the ballroom for that, you know? And it was awesome. Um, I still remember drinking 40s like backstage with Matt Skiba. <laughs> wow! What did the <laughs> band
0: say? Uh, what did the band say when they came to this college and they saw what was kind of put together?
1: Well, I mean, nobody was doing that on a small scale, so yeah. it was awesome. You know, it was a real, it was a real, and I think it was also like you were saying, it was good to come from other radio stations and be like. That was the one thing we always try to do with XGM 2 Was like with Macrock Rock is to be able to do these label panels and do these panels on college radio to be like how do I generate a budget for my thing? How do I do this? How do I repair this? How do we screen print? You know, there was all these like classes and workshops. And that was like, that was one of the things that we really wanted to preach too, because when you went to CMJ, there really wasn't, there was all these panels of these jaded motherfuckers talking about super big, you know, major label industry stuff. You know, you're lucky if you got to listen to somebody from sub pop, but
0: not actual Um, shit to help your station.
1: Correct, correct. It was more like, hey, let's try to get you drunk so you play our record. Um, and, you know, it was big, you know, we were always like, it's like big, you know, like laminate things and money, and was, you know. So it was like, it was. I always felt like Mackock was like the anti-CMJ. You know, granted, we had never been to South by Southwest, so we had no idea what that was like. And at, Excuse me, at the time, South by Southwest wasn't even like that big of a thing, at least not for us, because we were East Coast, I think. No, it definitely wasn't.
0: And we weren't but, like we didn't have the budget to industry like it was all major label stuff.
1: Oh, big no. I think we we had enough budget at XJM to where we could afford two passes to CMJ. And no, I meant stop like, by and Some bucks, yeah. Even say, CMJ was expensive too. Yeah, no, you're. And right. I remember like collectively we took that like budget of six hundred and divided it up amongst twelve people, and then everybody still had to pay out of pocket to like go and do do a hotel room. or like the van it took to get up there and stuff. And so really it was funny, like it, it, MacRock during those years really became like the thing to do. And I, I love the fact that like, you know, there was a lot of good people that helped out with MacRock. But when we graduated, well, well, I didn't I say graduated, but I never graduated. But, you know, when we left in 2000, one of the things that I wanted to do was actually get a budget through the school for MacRock because there wasn't one. Like we were basically like trying to take, we would take like 10% of every house show we did throughout the year and put that in a pool together to kind of get things started for Macrock. But Macrock was really based on like empty promises. Like we would tell bands like, look, we will try to get you like 200 bucks, but realistically I can't guarantee you anything. And so there was no contracts. There was no guarantees. It was kind of very, very, you know, it was all about trust. Um, and so I didn't want that, so I went in front of the school board right before I left, and we did this whole pitch, and we're like, look, you know, this is bringing people from all these places, it's helping out all these record, uh, record labels, all these bands and all these other uh, college radio stations are coming here to learn from us, can we please have X amount of budget? And I can't remember what the budget ended up being when I left, but I was glad that they were able to get a budget. I, I don't think they even run... I don't even think MacRock now is involved with the college no. uh, anymore. But um, it was—it was, gra- was very gratifying to know, like, hey, you know, we put all this time into this collectively as a unit, and we're able to go in front of these old, like, starchy people and be like, hey, check this out. None of this makes sense to you. You're not going to like this music, but this is really important, and it's bringing people to want to actually go to school here.
0: That was it. Like people talked about that. I mean, other our other stations were like. That we would meet in the that area, the Mid Atlantic. It would be like this is so cool. Like if you went to you know JMU, you could you could you could be a part of this. And I, it was I think again that that I don't think the college realized that like PR, but also you know band wise. I mean the being able to get the bands that you did and put kind of a name as this festival. It's still going.
1: Yeah, I actually when we were talking about it earlier today, I actually went on the. the the, uh, the website to actually see, like, oh, what has Macrock been up to? And, like, see, like, the list of the bands that they've had over the years. And I was like, oh, yeah, we booked that part of it. We booked that part of it. Uh, and then, you know, completely forgot that the first year we did Macrock, Elliot Smith played in the fucking basement wow. of the Spaghetti House. And, and probably for, like, 30 people, you know? And the, it's just bizarre to think about, like, how... Uh, how intimate things could be when it's done on a personal level. You know, you're just saying, like, hey, okay, like we had this. I remember the first year that we really got into booking it and started asking people, we were really into playing Saddle Creek stuff. And so we reached out to Cursive and we reached out to the Faint. And the Faint were like, yeah, we'll drive from Omaha, Nebraska to Harrisonburg, Virginia and play in this basement for a hundred bucks. <laughs> You know, because it sounds rad. You but know? that's what I
0: mean. Like, I mean, Ian Ian MacKay did that, that talk. I remember getting into the room, the school, like whatever the classroom where he just like spoke for an hour and then like the line to getting into Fugazi and, you know, just the...
1: Yeah, the year they got... I, I wish I would have been a part of the year they got Fugazi, but that's like a thing to like, you know you're doing something right when Fugazi goes, okay, we'll do this. That's what I because mean. they're so selective, you know?
0: And he spoke. You know, he like did like a talk, and I just kids were so like. I mean, I was a kid too, but like just watching him speak and take people's like questions seriously, and we were having these like conversations. I I, I mean, it was like I it was like I was at school and I was almost like taking a punk rock class, and everyone seemed like as as part of that. And I think that's what I took so much of it. Like meeting a label at the label expo and talking to them. And then years later, you know, calling them for like a work thing, but you met them there yeah. and it was like this instant, like, Oh, you were at MacRock, Oh, we're good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. It was like that, you know, like my, the connections that I made and the friends I made from MacRock helped a lot in those early years of, doing work at feel by ramen and especially later those early years doing stuff at no idea.
2: How did it then help then with no up, idea?
1: Just the same. You know, it was just like, we, we realized the labels that we liked, liked working with. Like I remember bringing in EVR into like, uh, no idea comps and stuff like that when we first were doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, it was, when I came in, and no idea, it was more like, "Hey, Bar, we need to branch out and work more and showcase on this distro that you guys have. You know, let's bring in more labels to this community, and like, let's. You know, it really helps the bands. The more connections that we have, because they're going to make more friends, and there's more, you know, quote unquote favors you can call on. You know,
0: yeah. I had actually, um, I just remembered one random story from MacRock that I will annoy. Uh, I remember the first year I worked at TVT Records, which was the first label I had. Like a, a uh, it was like 2001, I think, and I had an expense account, and I told them about MacRock, and I they said how many, and I did college radio, and they were like, how many stations are going to be there? So I remember listing off like 15 stations that were going to be there, which was totally legit, and yeah. I remember them letting me fly. I flew into Charlottesville and then took like a like a I think I rented like whatever like the premium thing was, like there was some deal. And like I roll into Mac Rock in like a red, you know, it wasn't a Mustang, but it was like something like stupid like that. And I look like, I was like, I can't believe I'm flying into Mac Rock and like driving <laughs> around and like and like I'm going to meet radio stations. But those people that I met like I'm still friends with them. They worked in the industry. Like it was stupid that I didn't just drive. Like I, I flew, but it was like, uh, I was still, I I don't know. I like, I knew I, I like had to be there. I remember like begging my boss being like, if you want to know what's happening, I have to go down there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of people from that world like yourself that still work in the industry and do, do a lot and did a lot afterwards. You know? So it's, it's 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 great that it still goes on. I, I don't know if it has the same impact that it did before, but if anything, it just it's also still a different has different time. Well, yeah, I think if now more than anything, you know, they start panels. I think it's just still like an outlet that that can be said that like, hey, look, here's a group of people doing something. You know? Yeah. And that was like the influence that I got. So like later, you know, after like before I started you know, working at no idea, and I was between no idea and you know After my FBR. dreams of, of running, working at label, gotten crushed. Um, I was just kind of like really just just struggling to find something. You know, I didn't want to play music still. I didn't want to form a band. I didn't want to get back in the van yet and like do that tour stuff. But I still, you know, I was still booking shows. You know, those first couple years in Gainesville, two years like for bands that needed shows coming through. Um, So I did stuff for like Sam I Am, I think we did like a Snapcase show and like a bunch of other stuff, like, you know, just to help bands out, because I was just on that list, you know, from years of doing stuff. Um, And I just, it was mainly out of frustration. A friend was like, dude, you're just so bummed on something. I was like, should I just, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I left all this stuff to come down here and now I got nothing, you know, I can barely make rent. I'm fucking like donating plasma and shit to like get by. Um, and he's like, dude, you should do like a Mac rock down here. And I'm like, ah, man. Yeah. But like, I don't have the college radio station. We don't have like the resources I have all these volunteers. Like, you know, I definitely could have, can make a list like tonight and like make a list of all the bands we're friends with and, you know, send them an email and invite them. But I was like, I don't have any capital to get this thing started. And I was like, also I don't want to do like the panel discussions and stuff like that. And they were like, why would you do that? Dude, just have hands play. There's like four venues in walking distance. Let's just do that. And I was like, you're right. And so collectively amongst a group of friends, you know, or we would just have meetings at like my house and like get cases of beer, you know, and smoke weed and just be like, all right, Let's start inviting people. Let's make the list and like, okay, we got to put together like a little photocopy guidebook. Who wants to review this band? You know, and like, and we just all collectively came together and like, it was really cool because like you, you know, one I didn't know that many people in Gainesville at the time. I knew a good amount, but not a whole lot. And a lot of my Virginia friends, after I moved to Gainesville, were like, "Hey, I want to leave Virginia. Gainesville seems cool," so they moved down. So it was like like at least ten. Virginia people living here that could help out. But, like, you, later, you know, after we did the first one, there was a lot of Gainesville bands that played the first year of Fest, and they were like, Yeah, we didn't know who this guy was. We thought he was full of shit, but we just went and played. And then it became this awesome thing that they loved and the whole community got bigger and everybody, more people want to help out after the first year. And I really, it it brought back those memories of being in Harrisonburg and having a group of people that want to do something. And it was like, especially living in Gainesville, even though it was so much of a punk rock roots community here, we were still just nestled in this like very University of Florida, go Gators, like fraternity life. So it was almost like, what we were doing was such a, a buck to the system in the town in a lot of ways
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, for many, many years. Um, so a lot of, like, if it wasn't for, you know, the chain of things, if it wasn't for those years in Harrisonburg, Fest would have never existed. Like, if there, was, if there was no Macrock, there would have been no Fest. I would have never had the dream or the desire or the knowledge on how to put something like that together. What was it and like that on the first DIY- year? Um, we, it was very small. I mean, like, like I said, we collectively as a group put together, I remember like, I didn't have a pot to piss in and I went to my mom and my dad separately. Um, they were divorced forever and I was like, look, can I borrow $500 from each of you? And I'd never asked my parents for money ever in my life. And they were like, you know, this, you, you, I think you could do this. And it was funny because all growing up, my mom was very supportive of me being in a band, being punk. You know, bands would come through, and she ran a daycare center out of her home, and they would stay in the basement. I mean, she has drawers full of, like, she would always tell the bands, like, You have to be out of the basement by 6 a.m because i'm opening the daycare don't leave a mess you can have anything in the freezer which was like full of like sam's club frozen products Um, (laughs) and she was like leave me an extra large t-shirt so she had like (laughs) less than jake extra large shirt and it's not because she's a big lady she's tiny as fuck she just like liked it as like a sleeping thing yeah it was like a big nightgown so she had like an ass shirt like an (laughs) Hot water, less than steak, against all authority, like all these goddamn bands. And like, I'm like, man, this is so awesome to look back. Every time I go to Christmas, I'm like, mom, can you show me the punk tour again? And, uh, you, the, you know, half in the bag at Christmas. And we're like, look at this. She's fucking wearing a ass suck shirt. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, my mom, though, out of it all, you know, I, I thought she'd be the easy sell. And she was the one that was most worried, like, I mean, do you really think you can pull this off? Do you think you could do it? And my dad was like, man, you, you're just, you know, who was always, like, n- did not understand when I was in high school. Like, my I, I mean, I looked crazy in high school. In the mid-'90s, like, where we lived, being a skater punk, it was like, your hair was, like, fucked up. It was, like, giant fucking jeans, triple extra-large T-shirts. I mean,
0: Oh, my God. I know. The, the large jeans. Yeah. I got into that. And then all my shirts were XL. No, yeah, no one yeah. told me I was a medium. Or
1: even, like, XL, And we were, like, maybe 100, 100 <laughs> pounds, yeah. Wet. It just, if you look back on it, that was just the style at the time. Yeah. You know, cause that was, like, the skateboarding culture style. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, my dad at that time, you know, uh, in 2002, you know, or 2001, whenever we started, you know, getting getting things together, was like, you know, I have faith in you. Do it. And that first year, you know, we, we had, I think, 60 bands. Um, we still had bands drive, you know, bands that i had met from the Fuel by Ramen days um, and bands that we knew from, uh, you know, bands that had come through on tour. And then there was all these Gainesville bands like Grab Ass Charleston's who had connections out west. And so that's when we had like Tilt Will come out and they like Vina Kava and things like that. And, and so, you know, we just sent the invite out to everybody. We put together just like we did at MacRock, Rock, a little black and white like zine, you know, welcome. You know, to our town. Here's how things are going to go. Here's a bunch of descriptions of bands. Here's a schedule. Here's a map. Here's like three ads that we got like enough to cover our printing costs for. Um, restaurant
0: recommendations, we, which were always fucking rad.
1: From restaurant Mac recommendations Rock. always helped. Yeah, yeah. We, we 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 still did that to in in uh, the festival too. You know, and it was like, you know, our friends did the artwork, you know, like, we didn't even have a poster. We just had 11 by 17, like, black and white copies, you know, and that was it. You know, there was no ads taken out. We didn't have money for ads. It was basically, like, you know, word of mouth, you know, and there there was already, like, an existing, like, Gainesville fest um, that had happened that had died out, and it was more like a hardcore fest, though, and it would be, like, one venue, and they would have dance play all day. And the last one they had, they had Converge headline and it was in this big theater and there was like a fight that broke out between Converge and some people in the crowd and it was just like really gross. Um, And so they stopped doing it. Uh, And so that was kind of also a motivating factor too, to do this was be like, well, there's people that enjoy coming to Gainesville, but we should do it differently. You know, we should involve more bands from this area. We should make it a multi-venue. I always liked the multi-venue, like choose your own adventure aspect because I hate being in one place and then a band's playing, and I'm like, ah, I don't really like this band. So now you can't go right anywhere. Here. Can't go anywhere, you know? And so, I don't know. I, I, I always try to, like, build and book from an attendee standpoint. Like, I, I always think of the attendees first, bands second, myself third, in that order. Uh, and so, I mean, it worked. You know, it was very small. Uh we lost $500. So I wasn't able to pay my parents back. And I went to them with my, my tail tucked to my legs. But I was also like, but the response was awesome. Like, everybody loved it. And I'm ready to start number two now. And so what we did was we did the first one in the spring. Um And then we did the second one this following fall. Like, we just jumped right into it. Um So literally, I only had like six months to plan Fest 2 and promote it and then that one we expanded a little bit i can't remember what year we expanded to three days that might have been fest three or i could be completely wrong i mean it's been 17 years i can't <laughs> i get them all have you archived stuff, anything
0: i saw some stuff on the site that's got some uh history stuff like do, have you have you, a little ca- bit have you I kept mean, stuff? the most
1: archival was fest three no idea put out a dvd
0: but have and you actually, have you kept flyers? Have you kept mementos? Oh
1: uh, yeah, there's like a there's like a, a tote in my closet that's just weighs a thousand pounds and is just full of just it just every year I just throw stuff in it. You know, it's like a time <laughs> capsule and someday I'll I'll open it up and whip it out. The best though, there's this guy named McKinsey used to do this thing called National Underground. And in his spare time he was way into filming, it was before digital, so everything was done to tape. And he was doing, like, board tapes and uh, so getting great live audio and then doing multi-camera full sets from shows. And in the early years of YouTube, he was putting them up. So if you go to YouTube and look up some of those early fests, a lot of that footage is from the National Underground. And then he, like, had it where he was, like, trying to really do it with, like, a website. And he just kind of, like, got burned out, blown out of it, and just stopped doing stuff. But he ended up sending all of his tapes to my friend Randy, who uh, runs Death Protector Records and is in that band, Dikembe. And so Randy's sitting on, like, years, like, countless hours of amazing footage, but doesn't have the time to, like, you know, download it all digitally, you know, from tape and edit it. So we always joked that, like, it'd be kind of fun to take that whole box of stuff and just, like, take it to, like the university or take it down to Full sale down in Orlando and just be like, here, let students do this. But then at the same time, what student that's learning film editing wants to fuck around with a bunch of tapes? It's just impractical. It doesn't exist. Like nobody, unless, unless you're like working in like some lab where like you're taking like your dad's or your grandpa's like, you know, old footage and converting it over to like a, a CD-ROM form, you know? I mean,
0: I think it's finding somebody that loves history. Um, I think it's, it's finding someone that would understand like this is important or, you know, it's a library. It's funny. I mean, there's actually people that I can recommend um, to be able to help. Um, so, yeah, we can do that after. But I think there's... I mean,
1: I think that's initially what Randy thought. He was like, dude, give it to me. This needs to be documented. And then when he got it, he was like... Holy shit! This is way too much. You know? Do you remember uh, the
0: actuality of thought VHS DVD or the VHS? Oh yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, inter- I I interviewed him for the podcast. Okay. And he he talked about that he has from Michigan Fest. He or there's one of the fests he has full sets of every band, and they're just yeah, sitting Michigan on these Fest drives. Was a lot of that
1: footage I remember that was one of the things like we could ever go to Michigan Fest. And there was all those. There was the More Than Music Fest. Yep. Um, that was in Ohio. You know, there was, uh, what was it, Bled Fest yep. for a while. Um, and then what was the one in Louisville? Uh, Crazy Fest. Crazy Fest. I and mean, then that one actually got big, too. Oh, yeah. Crazy um,
0: Fest was nuts. EVR would always going, have
1: people going there. Oh, yeah. EVR was all up in there. <laughs> I remember going, like, for ramen and being, like, you know, because Grade was playing and, and Greg from Jersey was there. And like some other bands like MIG Carson July were good buddies of ours. So we always roll up with them. And uh, just seeing like, wow, these are like big fucking stages, man. And like, <laughs> you know, at what production and like went into it and stuff. Um, you know, and those were the kind of early influences too for us to do Fest. Like I always took Fest and just tried to like, Make it bigger, but just with baby steps. Mm-hmm. You know, I never try to go beyond my means because realistically, it's always just me. You know, there's no like real big staff. You know, the staff that we have is like very part time. It does it, you know, on the side. And then after fest, it's like okay, now everybody can get some money to make it happen now. But in those early days, there was no money to be had. You know, we would make a little bit, and it, we just like put it in an account, and that went into the next fest. You know, I didn't, I don't think we actually were able, I was never able to like cut myself a check until after doing it for 10 years. Wow!
0: Hear that again, kids. He did something for 10 years and look what it turned (laughs) into. And then he took a check. So all you kids wanting instant gratification, take some fucking time. Relax.
1: No. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but (laughs) there's a lot of people, especially in the, in the festival world now, it's hard to compete. Uh, or stay alive in a lot of ways because you know at the time there wasn't that many festivals that, that catered to the music that you know we love, and so now it's kind of hard because there's all these like mega festivals that go into the guise of being punk rock, um, or booking some of the some of the bands that we book, and so you have this problem where they're like, well, this festival's pay- the agent will talk to you and be like, well, this festival's paying them this much money, and it's like. Well, they should fucking go play that. But if they want to play ours, we only have this much because we still keep our prices low. We don't have corporate sponsorship. You know, we're still, instead of having like 40 bands, we have 450 bands. So we're still trying to like support the little guy and keep them going and like hopefully build these bands up so that like, you know, five, ten years later, that band that came and played the small venue for a hundred bucks remembers that we took care of them and they come back and play our main stage. Why is you
0: know, that like not, just, why is that not happened? Why does that sentiment that you just said, f- why do you feel like that's been lost?
1: Uh, I mean, I think definitely in the festival thing, it's been lost. I mean, the festivals are just like, it's a, it's a, it's a corporate money-making thing now. I've had, I've had people contact me out of the blue that have been like, Hey, you do fest. I barely know who you are. But I've got an investor or a group of investors who want to start a music festival. Uh, would you like, uh, sit with us and give us some advice? And I'm like, no. Like, why would I tell you 17 years of experience to some schmo who just wants to blow his wad and have some big crazy festival? Let them fail. Let them try on their own or succeed. You know, that's what we did. There was no blueprint. There was nobody that sat down and told me anything. You know, I didn't have the luxury of having, you know, it makes me sound bitter and stuff, but it's, it's true. You know, like that, you how have you to really make mistakes. Correct. And that's how you earnestly have to like succeed is by being humble about things and really doing it, pulling yourself up from your own bootstraps and doing it through the DIY scene, you know, and collectively doing it as a group, um, you know, and not to dog anybody else because everybody does their thing and there's people that enjoy going to these other music festivals and stuff like that. But it's just, I feel like there's not that many that still exist uh, where it is or really like a DIY thing. Like our entire staff, there's no like professionals. I don't, I, we don't have a production company that comes in to do our music festival. We don't, we don't have like um, a whole like security force that we bring in. Everything is like just how we did with Mac Rock. It's all volunteer based. It's a group of people collectively coming together to put on this event that have hardly any experience but they have all the heart. You know? And that's that's I think what keeps it cool. And the bands that come, they still see that and they're like, Wow, this is refreshing instead of some old salt screaming at me from the side of stage, I've got this person who loves my band and is trying to help, you know, because they 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 want to see to succeed. You know, they I mean, care it about is. It so it's like
0: much. I remember kids working like to keep people off the stage during like a hot water set at PC Ballroom. It was like kids with MacRock shirts, and, yeah, and that's it, how fest is. Yeah. down here,
1: you know. What's, and, you know what what do you think kept it, it going I think that the community that, yeah. aspect. Uh, people that come from all over the world and they feel like this is like a homecoming for them. This is where they feel comfortable. This is where they've made friends, made connections. People have met their their future, you know, better halves here at FEST. Um, you know, and with the invention of like message boards and now with social media, it's easier for people to keep in touch. Like if you if you go, you know, there's like Fest Friends Facebook page and there's people on there and before that there was just like a message board and people from all over the world connected on that. Um, and that's, you know, anytime anybody gets interviewed as an attendee that comes to fest or a band, that's like the number one thing they, they talk about is how it's a feel of community. It's, it's funny. Like it's, 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 uh, somebody that doesn't, you know, came, came recently to fest a couple of years ago and he's like, man, I'm not really into this punk rock thing, you know, blah, blah. But he goes, you know what this reminds me of? And He's like, you're going to hate it when I say this. And I was like, what? And it was my friend Colt Cabana, who's like, does a podcast called The Art of Wrestling, and he's an amazing independent pro wrestler. Um, he's like, this reminds me a lot of the Gathering of the Juggalos. <laughs> and I was like, fuck you, man! Like, but he's like, no, no, no. He's like, I go, I perform at that every year, and I see the same thing, like people just hugging each other, people high fiving, people talking about the music. You know, people giving a shit about the bands. People coming from all over the world. Um, it's not like other festivals where you go and it's just like a bunch of people trip down on weird drugs, like hula hoop and face painting, you know, or like trying to look the the coolest look that they've seen on the internet, you know, or glamping, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a really a community, you know, and so. I've never been to the gathering, but it almost want, makes me want to like go just to like see if he, his comparison's full of shit or not. You know. I mean, I think um, about
0: that but, for those bands. Like, they've got their crew, they've got their people, and when you see someone walk down the street with or walk in the fest and they've got that same Twitsid shirt on, like you're going to be down to go say what's up to them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at that festival, and here it's the opposite. It's like you know somebody's got an Iron Sheet shirt on, and you're like, yeah. Or if it's like you know, especially like we are one of the other festivals that really try to bring in a lot of bands from overseas. Um, And it's rad because we've like helped, I think in a lot of ways, get exposure to these small bands from, from Europe, um, from Japan. You know, we've had bands from China, you know, uh, in the UK and Australia and punk scene has blown up. And a lot of those bands say it's because of the connections and the friends they've made at best, and then they're all able to go back over there, and inspires them to do a little bit more over there. Um, That's amazing. So it's it's yeah, it's great that, that like we have built up such a community. And I don't know if it would if it would work in a, any other town, but it totally works here in Gainesville. I think it's just the weather's beautiful, the southern hospitality works, the fact that it's kind of like Harrisonburg, where you can just walk from venue to venue. You don't have to jump on a fucking train and go across town any of that weird shit. Um, and it just, you know, I don't know. It just, it's a special vibe here, you know, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of other festivals I think that have started up because they've come here and uh, seen what we did and try to take it and tweak it to where they live. And that's just, you know, it's flattering. It's awesome. And I give them as much advice as I possibly can uh, to try to like succeed in things like that. Like like prime example is like Pooza Fest that mm-hmm. happens up in Canada. Um, is definitely like a very much a model of fest. Like Hugo came down here and he'll be the first one to say it. He's like, yeah, I did fest. And then I came to fest and I was like, look, I want to do this up here. Um, and, and now and that's you know, like
0: a just, thing you have to do. If you get asked about yeah. Pooza, you got to go.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, and there's, you know, there was, there was, a uh, out, out West in California. Uh, it's a uh, awesome fest out there. You know, very, very similar vibe of what we do here, you know. And I and I hope that there's more and more more of that happening where people organically are starting up things to help out their scene or to build a better scene in their town than people are just going like, This looks like it's gonna make some money. Let me get a bunch of millionaires together, you know?
0: Which is you know, I ter- I when I see that, it's like, All right, what's next? Where's the basement? Where can I go to find the next thing happening because
1: you won't find the next small band. That's the thing because there are no small bands. Yeah, it's like two giant stages or three giant stages. Or no, four I meant giant I
0: stages. meant like turning. I meant like turning it off and being like, I'm not going to that. That's doesn't. That's not what I'm into. Let me find the right. next basement. Where's the next you know thing going on that I can find? Because it just. For some reason, I don't know if... I mean, I think we're similar in that. As soon as I... It's not... I don't want... Pe- I want a band to be successful. I'm happy that a band can tour anywhere around the world and people go see them. But it's, it's that other piece of, I want to make sure that the next band is doing it. Like, it's almost like I always want to just artists develop. Like, you've set them on well, their way.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's a lot of that, too, of like, both of us came from college radio. And what are you doing when playing college radio? You're playing smaller underground bands. I'm not playing top forty music. I'm yeah. playing something that I care about. And I'm trying to put it out there in the airwaves and hope that somebody else is listening. You know, and that's the way you know I feel like I've done with best. You know, I'm not saying that the music choices that I make are the best or the bands that I pick are the only bands you should listen to, but I do know that there's several thousand people out there that agree with me that like what i pick each year. And so it's 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 amazing and flattering that they want to come and support it. But it's also crazy too that like certain bands have played like over a decade in a row and started out like in the small venues like Flatliners, like Menzingers, like Iron Sheik. So round um, bands like that who are now banner pilots something like that who like now play main stage and play for thousands of people. But that what they did is because we've always treated them well and they love the community. They come back year after year after year. And so those make me the most proud is to be like, it's awesome to get that one big band, you know, to come in for that one time. But to have these repeat people come into the party, that's really that's that's the heart and blood into so like why you get up and you fucking open your email and you deal with all the bullshit half the time, is because that's the rewarding <laughs> side of it, you know. No, you're end, totally you're like, right.
0: And it's not that I'm getting emotional, it's just like that is the that's the root of it. You know? Yeah. Like that's yeah, the, I was just like on. your buddies with like someone in the Menzingers and they just, you, they look at you and they're like, this was, this helped us. And like, I hope a kid out there watching understands that this is not just something really simple. And I'm going to do this really quick and make money. It's like, you got to be invested. And that goes back to you talking about those first things you were doing with those bands and investing that time in that book your own fucking life. If you do yeah. that, if you do that, it's more meaningful. If if you and I had just texted, or it would it just not as it's not enough. And I think if you really want to get into this scene and feel connected, you have to put the time in.
1: It's very true, you know. And it's like, you know that it's it's you're going to take out what you put into it, you know. And I think also too with us, it's like I also get inspiration with the, the volunteer aspect of Fest. It's like seeing all these people and kids come in who get to help out firsthand with music that they love. Because a lot of these people have only seen from the crowds aspect of how a show works. They've never looked out into the crowd from stage. They don't play in bands. They're not putting on shows. They don't work for some big rock and roll venue or anything like that. And I've seen a lot of people who have grasped onto that and said, look, I really enjoyed this. And they come back and like, hey, next year, I, you know, I was helping out loading equipment at this one, but next year I want to stage manage. Is that cool? And I'm like, fuck yeah. If you think you can do it, let's do this. And I've seen people come out of those roots and the experiences that they've had by helping us every year start doing shows, start booking their own independent shows around town, start working for production companies, you know, or doing bigger things or build their way up and working more with us in Fest. So it's like, I feel like not only Fest is a, is a, is a great outlet for small bands and a great opportunity for people to come from all over the world to like community together and like talk about music and feel comfortable with each other and feel like they can truly be themselves. But it's also that whole coming up from Macrock is like, I want fest to also just be a learning experience too, for a lot of people, give them that opportunity to really feel like they're a part of something, not just be an attendee that pays a ticket and feel like this is part of their community. Like when I had the volunteer meeting, and that's one of the reasons why like we pretty much, you know, almost like exclusively only let people from Gainesville volunteer, unless you've done it before and you've moved away and you get on good stats with us, come back and work. Um, and our volunteer workforce is like over 500 volunteers to make Fest work. Um, it's, it's that, you know, I say to them, is like, you know, even if you're here just for one year going to UF or you've been here forever, you know, it goes, the age gap, you know, goes from like 16 to like 60 that volunteer for Fest. It's like, this is our scene, you know, and this is what we do this weekend is going to be looked out upon by the world. So let's set the example that hey, we can pull this off. That we that DIY can still happen, and we can do an amazing job of it, and everybody's happy. You know, let's leave everybody with a great impression of our town, of our scene, of our community. And uh, it's just you know, I, I I feel like that really is a lot of the heart and soul of why it separates what we do here. Than other music festivals, but it all stems from those experiences that we had in the '90s, and that experience that we had with college radio, and the experience we had with Mac Rock. It all stems from that, and I hope that you know when I'm dead and fucking gone, that you know the legacy that we brought down in the blueprints and the almost like textbook of how things are gone that somebody else will carry the torch and keep the keep the keep, the, keep it going.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, you got to get your ass down here.
0: Tony, I'm, no, I, I, I didn't get. I mean, I I mean, I got emotional just because, like, I mean, I just that. This is like such the root of why I, you know, pay my own money to fight emo night, L. A. This is more than that, you know. It's like there's there's people and friendships and things. It's more than just the bands. You're right. It's about the crew. It's about all those people. So um, that's awesome.
1: So come this year and experience it I'm gonna try man <laughs> I'm gonna try
0: so Tony thank you again for the time this was awesome Ooh,
1: thank you man
0: I really enjoyed this chat and just where you it's like I preach these same things and and to have the Macrock connection plus the college radio I just think you know you're continuing it for this next era and I think there will be that kid in that audience that's gonna do it for you when you're gone
1: oh uh, there's a few I trust Coming down slowly